glad that you're here. Well, good morning. Happy Lent. <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, one other quick announcement. This is... Uh, really been special. The, uh, this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m., we're going to have our cross-purpose uh, graduation. This is the first class that has gone through cross-purpose at this site, and we're going to celebrate uh, 14 or 15 graduates who have a higher-paying job that they had before, richer relationships, more relationships, and also a deeper walk with some of them, a deeper walk with the Lord. And so that's happening this Wednesday at 7. And so I, I would encourage you to consider attending. There's three, three reasons why you should probably consider or maybe consider. First is, is that um, there's a number of people that have now, because of this uh, program and process, have higher-paying jobs. Uh, the second reason is that we have some of our congregants have actually gone through the class, so it's an opportunity for us to celebrate with those within our congregation. The third reason is that cross-purpose is paying for it all. So, so <laughs> consider it this Wednesday at 7 p.m. We are on a 40-day journey called Lent. It's an opportunity for us to evaluate our heart and see where um, we're off so that we can repent and return to the Lord for the purpose of greater life. That's the purpose of Lent. There's a number of things that have shifted within the service. You'll notice that the color has turned to purple. Color, the color purple is representative of royalty. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are, we are kings and queens. We reign with him throughout all of eternity. We are royalty. And so as we look at the color purple, we recognize that there's areas in our life where we haven't lived like royalty. So we repent, return to the Lord for greater life in him. Also, if you notice, some of most of the songs are in a minor key. And again, that's just awakening our hearts to the reality that we're not home yet. There's a hunger and a passion for more of Jesus. Also, the liturgy has changed. We do the confession on the front end, which kind of sets the pace or the trajectory for the rest of the service. That, the, that this entire service, that this entire season is marked with repentance for the purpose of greater life. In Jesus. So that's the season that we're in. The series that we're going through during Lent is called The Practices of Jesus. And what we want to do during this season is to rearrange the artifacts of our life around what Jesus did to gain life and relationship with the Father, to arrange our life around those same things so that we may get life, greater life, from the Father. That we set the altar of our heart to prepare for God's greater life in us and through us. And that really is the purpose of this series. And that's the purpose of this season is to arrange our life around the things that Jesus did in order to get the life of Jesus. In order to have the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. To live the values of Mary in a very Martha-driven world filled with busyness and anxiety. How do we live like Mary abiding and, and resting at the feet of Jesus. Now, we just came off of a series called uh, Liturgy, which is what we looked at uh, on Sunday morning. What do we do during this, these different liturgical movements, and what aspect of the gospel do they reflect? We looked at our liturgy on Sunday morning. Through the practices of Jesus, and in this sermon series, we are look, looking at the liturgy of life. Not the liturgy on Sunday, which is what we've already gone through, but what is the liturgy of our life Monday through Saturday? What are the practices that we engage in through the rest of the week so that we can abide in Jesus more fully so that we can engage the responsibilities that we have in life 
uh, more fully. So abiding in Christ so that we can work as Jesus would work. To abide in Christ. It's not a false dichotomy of work or Jesus or family in Jesus or relationships in Jesus. It's Jesus in all things, abiding in Christ so that we can engage in work the way Jesus has called us to engage. To engage our family, to engage our relationships, to engage our neighbors, to engage play, recreation. So that's the goal of it, to more fully abide in Jesus so that we can live the life that Christ has called us to live. So how are we going to do that? The practices of Jesus. The practices of Jesus. Now there's a number of practices that Jesus engaged in. Sabbath, community, prayer, silence, solitude. The one that we're going to kick off this series with is the one that everybody loves and that you do every week. Fasting. <laughs> it's probably the most, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a hard one. And that's why we're starting with it, actually. Uh, I, I have, a, I have a, a relationship with fasting. There's been frustrations. There's been inconsistencies. And yet there's been the greatest fruit of my life as a result of fasting. When I started fasting, uh, it was when I just came to know the Lord. It was in college. And I was working at a place called Jim's Wings. And if you know me, <laughs> wings and blue cheese are my kryptonite. <laughs> they just like... It tests everything within me, and I was on a three-day fast. It was the third day on my fast where I had to work at Jim's Wings for six hours, and I was dying uh, as I was cooking other people's food. There was a moment in time, like around you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon, where Jim had left. The owner had, was gone. There was no one in the restaurant, <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I threw in a batch of 30 wings. I put out all the blue cheese, and I just devoured them in like five minutes, and I was sick the rest of the day. And uh, so with fasting, there, there, there's a frustration at times. There can be a sense of inconsistency as I've looked at my own life. But I will also say that in fasting, there's never been a time where the presence of the Lord is more near and the voice of the Lord is more clear. So we're going to begin with this practice called fasting. The goal of fasting, the power of fasting, we're going to look at what is fasting, and lastly, how, is, how do we engage in fasting. So first, what is the goal of fasting? If you have your scriptures, go with me, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 uh, through 18. We're just going to read it all the way through. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in Full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So right out of the gate, we see the motivation or the goal for fasting. And Jesus is dealing with the false motives of the heart. That if our goal in fasting is to get God's love, God's approval, God's affection, we already have God's love, we already have God's affection, that is not the goal of fasting. The goal of fasting is not to look good on the outside to other people. It's not to get other people's approval or God's approval. We already have the approval of King Jesus. It's not merit-based. That's not the goal. There's a much richer goal that is in store for us for those who engage in fasting. And what is it? It's intimacy with the Father. What is the reward? It's intimacy with the Father. As we talked about on Ash Wednesday, it's abiding more fully in Christ. 
And I realized that when we engage in practices, whether it's in prayer, giving, silence and solitude, fasting, whatever the practice is, there is going to be a temptation. We are a mixed bag within our hearts. And we can just acknowledge that. I'll just confess, in my heart, I'm a mixed bag. And that's why as we engage in this process, it's a continual opportunity to, to repent and return to the Lord for his true motive, the true goal that God has put before us in the, words, in, in, in the practice of fasting. I love what one of the ancients say. They say, if you're going to draw water from a deep well, sometimes you pull up a frog. And that's true in fasting, in any practice. There will be times when we're engaging in it where the desires of our heart is to seek the approval of God. But the invitation for us is to resist those things and to, and to draw close to the Lord because the goal of fasting ultimately is intimacy with the Father. He is the reward. Dallas Willard says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding him the source of sustenance beyond food. I love the story in Luke 2 where Anna She's a widow after seven years of marriage, and then she's 84 years old, and she never leaves the temple, but she continues to engage in prayer and fasting. Charles Spurgeon, he says, our seasons of fasting and prayer at church, or the tabernacle, have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gates stood wider. Never have our hearts been near to the central glory. That's the goal of fasting. In the words of John Piper, the passion of a lover's quest is intimacy with God. The passion of a lover's quest. Does that mark your heart? Is that, do, you, do you have the passion of a lover's quest for greater intimacy with the Father? That's the goal of fasting. So second, what is the power of fasting? What is the result of fasting? There's two things that happen, at least two things. The first is spiritual authority. And I find it interesting, in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into the world, it revolves around food. I realize that there's a deeper motive going on there in terms of self-will, Adam and Eve taking matters into their own hands. But we have to say that there's something going on with food, because Satan uses food. There's something going on there. I recognize, again, there's deeper things happening, but there's something happening also with food as, as Adam and Eve take the apple. And I also find it interesting that Jesus when he begins his ministry, before he even begins the ministry, the first practice that he engages in is fasting, going out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting. And then he is tempted by the devil with three of the biggest temptations. Now, let me ask you, when Jesus goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan after fasting for 40 days, is Jesus stronger or is he weaker? He is stronger and he faces Satan and declares victory through God's word. He begins his ministry through fasting. There is greater spiritual authority when we engage in the practice of fasting if the motive is greater intimacy with the Father. Moses, after the covenant is renewed, he fasts. Jehoshaphat, when Moab and Ammon are attacking them, he calls the people to fast, to hear from the Lord. Esther when the Israelites are about to be destroyed, she calls the people of God to fast for three days in order to have wisdom and discernment. Again, greater spiritual authority. Ezra, as the exiles are returning to the land, he calls a fast. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. The Mount of Transfiguration, 
After Jesus is transfigured, he's coming down the mountain, and there's a bunch of commotion at the base of the mountain. And then there's a father who has a son whose son is demon-possessed. The father brings the son to the disciples, but the disciples can't drive out the demon. The disciples are frustrated. The disciples are confused. They can't figure out why they can't drive out this demon because there's other demons they've driven out, but they can't drive out this demon. Why? They're frustrated. Jesus comes down. He says, bring the boy to me. Drives out the demon. And then the disciples ask, why could not we drive out this demon? And Jesus says, this one, this demon can only be driven out through prayer and fasting. There is greater spiritual authority when we engage in the discipline of fasting if the motive, if the goal is greater intimacy with the Father. And we live in a culture, we live in a day and age where there's a lot of powers and principalities that can only be driven out through prayer and fasting. And so we as a church need to regain the fervency of the first century church. We need to regain the fervency of the church that we've seen throughout the ages and to engage in this spiritual practice for the purpose of greater intimacy with the Father. And the result, the result is greater spiritual authority. Every time we enter into a new sermon series or a season, uh, a number of the pastoral staff will go away for a half a day of prayer. And what I'll do is I'll just kind of outline what, what the trajectory of the series is, what are some things that I feel like the Lord's placed upon my heart, a number of the different scriptures, you know, again, the themes. And then each one of the pastoral staff goes away and they pray. And then we come back about an hour and a half before we adjourn just to report out what have we heard from the Lord? What do we feel like the Lord is saying in light of this sermon series? And Sarah Sigler mentioned that she really felt an impression from the Lord. Actually, before the prayer day even started, she felt like the Lord was saying, too far. That during this past season, we've gone too far. People have gone too far. Too far in coping. Too far in response. Too far in their opinions. Too far in taking sides. And what is the response of the church when we live in a culture that has gone too far, fasting. It leads to greater spiritual authority. Second implication or second power that comes from fasting, it reveals where we are dependent upon other things. It reveals where we are dependent upon other things. Hunger is a basic appetite. It is the first order appetite. And so oftentimes the deeper struggles that we're having within our heart get expressed through food. And we can cover up those things with food and drink. But there's something deeper going on, and on inside of us because our appetites and our desires for food and drink are a first order appetite. And that's why St. Paul says in Philippians 3.18, he says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. That's why Franklin Janison says we need to dethrone King's stomach. If we get this under control through the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, if we get this under control, then we're able to get all other things under control because this is a first-order appetite. That's powerful. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9, but I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself shall be disqualified. Fasting reveals we are, we're, where we are trusting in other things other than Jesus for comfort, for pleasures, for approval, and for satisfaction. Richard Foster says, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
We cover up what is inside of us with food and other good things. But in fasting, these things surface. And fasting, these things surface. We don't realize how bitter we are or how irritable we are or the things that we're covering over until we begin to fast. And what the powerful thing is is the fruit of the self begins to surface. At the same time, we begin to depend upon Jesus in the same way. And when you bring this together with this, there is power, there is healing, there is transformation that takes place. Dallas Willard, fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly I would say amen. It will certainly prove humiliating to us. Again, amen. As it reveals to us how much our peace depends upon the pleasures of eating. It may also bring to mind how we are using food pleasure to alleviate or lessen the discomforts caused in our bodies by faithless and unwise living and attitudes. Lack of self-worth, meaningless work, purposeless existence, or a lack of rest or exercise. Again, it surfaces the fruit of the self. The, the fruit of the, 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 the spirit of the, or the, the fruit of the flesh, we, it, it surfaces those things that are within us. And we can't conquer those things in and of ourselves. We can't conquer those things through self-will. Self-will, bitterness. Bitterness wins. Self-will, cynicism. Cynicism wins. Self-will, porn, Porn wins. Self-will, unforgiveness, unforgiveness wins. Cynicism, power of the spirit, power of the spirit wins. Unforgiveness, spirit of God, the power of the spirit wins. Porn, the spirit's power, the the power of the spirit wins every time. And in fasting, what it does is it brings to the surface both of those things. At the same time, it shows us where we have depended upon other things for life that are not life and shows us a greater dependence upon Jesus. And when those things come together, we experience the transformation of Christ. Um, This is what I wrote earlier this week. Fasting surfaces our roots of distrust and rebellion and also postures our heart to receive the Spirit's power, which allows us to experience God's healing with God's power and therefore serve and love others. And therefore, we are able to serve and love others more sacrificially. That's the power of fasting. Greater spiritual authority and also reveals where we are dependent upon other things. Thirdly, what is fasting? In the Sermon of the Mount, there's only three disciplines mentioned. Giving to the poor prayer, and fasting. So it's important. But I also find it interesting that when Jesus introduces fasting, he says, when you fast, he's assuming that the disciples, that the followers of Jesus will fast. There's an assumption that takes place here. When you fast, if you want the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So Jesus says, when you fast, and there might be some resistance here because we don't like this, and I get it. But again, Dallas Willard, The general human failing is to want what is right and important, the life of Jesus. But at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life, the lifestyle of Jesus, that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, the life of Jesus, 
but we avoid the life that would make it a reality, the lifestyle of Jesus. So we arrange our life around the practices that Jesus engaged in for greater life in him, greater intimacy with the Father. Greater intimacy with the Father. So then what is fasting? I'll tell you what fasting is not. Fasting is not fasting from social media, chocolate, alcohol, podcasts, radio, TV. That's not fasting, biblically speaking. That's abstaining. And if you need to do that for the purpose of greater life in Christ, great. I may be splitting hairs, but that's not fasting. Fasting is also not dieting. I know it's really popular right now with intermittent fasting or cleansing, you know, the cleansing diet. That's not fasting, biblically speaking. What fasting is has one goal, not to lose weight and not to take out the toxins of your body. That's fine and well. But the purpose and the motive for fasting is greater intimacy with the Father. That's what fasting is. Fasting is fasting from food or drink. I'm going to focus primarily on food. Um, Fasting is from food in order to feed the soul. It's fasting from food in order to nourish and feed the soul. Jesus says it's not by bread alone, but on every word of God that we feast. Fasting could be a meal, maybe like a lunch or breakfast or dinner. It could be a day. It could be days, a week. It could be weeks. But it's fasting for a particular time so that you could feast more fully on the presence of God for the purpose of greater life. That's what fasting is. Lastly, how do we fast? I want to make this as practical as possible. As practical as possible. And I want to give us a framework. And this comes from John Mark Comer, this illustration. He talks about the difference between a rule of life, which is what we're talking about. A rule of life, uh, spiritual disciplines, practices of Jesus, those are all in the same category. We're not talking about rules, but a rule for life. It's not rules, it's not a law. A law and a rule of life, they're very different. A law is externally um, enforced, it's rigid, and it's motivated by guilt. A practice is just the opposite. It's internal, it's flexible, and the motivation is relational. So for example, the uh, speed limit out on Broadway, I think right here is about 35 miles an hour. Now that wasn't from your opinion. It was outwardly enforced. The city said it's going to be 35 miles an hour on Broadway. It comes from the outward. And it's not negotiable. It's rigid. When you're pulled over, you can't say, well, let's negotiate. No, there's no negotiating in it. Like, it's rigid. And the reason why we obey the speed limit is because we don't want to be found guilty. So it's guilt-motivated. But a practice of Jesus, a rule for Jesus, a rule uh, to have a life of Christ It's internal. It comes from inside. It's a desire to dwell more closely with the Father. It's not rigid, but it's flexible, which means we take into consideration our stage in life, where we're at in life, our personality, how we're wired. And it's also relationally motivated, our desires for greater intimacy with the Father. That's the difference. So I want to give you seven really quick practical things, and this is going to take two minutes, so please listen. The first one is probably the most important. Please listen. If you are not in a place to fast because of a difficult relationship with food, because you have a medical condition or a trauma because of food, do not fast. There is no guilt. There is no shame. This is a safe place. Fasting is about freedom and intimacy with Jesus. 
So maybe the application for you coming out of this sermon is what are the next thing that you have to do? If there's a difficult relationship that you have with food and you, you know who you are, maybe the next step for you is you need to go see a therapist, a counselor, a doctor, or a pastor. What is the next step you need to take in order to get the, the order right in regards to your relationship with food? So if that's you, please hear me. There is freedom in this place. This is safe and there is no guilt and there is no shame. Number two, before you fast, state your purpose clearly, deeper intimacy with the Lord. Second, or third, state your purpose in regards to serving others. It's, just, it's not just about project self and making myself just a little bit better. It's greater intimacy with the Lord for the purpose or for the sake of being able to serve others. How can I grow closer to Christ so I can be a better husband, a better parent, a better friend, a better worker, a better coworker, a better neighbor? You know, how can I have the heart of God? How can I see what God sees in order for me to be a better intercessor for the situation that's happening in Russia and Ukraine? How can I gain the heart of the Father so that I can intercede on behalf of those who are struggling and using the resources for the purpose of blessing others? So that's number three. Number four, don't start by trying to be Mother Teresa. Okay, there's A-types in here. You might want to say coming off of this sermon, I'm going to fast for 40 days. Don't. If you've never fasted, start with a meal. Simple, simple. Start with a meal. Maybe it's a lunch on Wednesdays. And then go to a day. And then maybe it's two days or three days. But start simple. And then as you start, maybe if it's with a lunch, then you just take five or ten minutes, read a psalm, and just be present to the Lord. Number four, after a month or after the season of Lent, reevaluate this practice. I mean, is it leading you closer to intimacy with the Father? Number six, when hunger pains come, don't rush out to Taco Bell and eat everything on the menu. You got to go back to the purpose. Go back to the purpose. When those hunger pains come, it's a way that you can pray with your stomach. It reawakens us to the reality that we need to continue to rely on the Father for intimacy. We don't live on bread alone, but on his word. And lastly, end the time with journaling in regards to what the Lord said and what the Lord did. And my hope as we engage in this practice is that we will experience greater intimacy with the Father as we arrange our life around the things that Jesus engaged in for life in the Father. So we as a community will engage our life around those same practices so that we can have greater intimacy and life in Jesus. Let's pray.